Great. Hey, this morning, you guys, is the uh, second Sunday of the Advent season, and we're going to continue our special series that we began last week on the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, Advent isn't something that we have traditionally kept or followed as a church before uh, this year. Normally, you know, when Christmas comes around, we uh, simply pause and whatever uh, book that we're studying through at the time, and, and we look at a few of the different accounts regarding the birth of Christ. But this year, with us being in between books, having finished First Timothy and having not yet begun Second Timothy, uh, I thought it just a great window of opportunity to uh, do something a little different from our regular Sunday morning service to give maybe a little more attention uh, to Christmas and our preparation for the Christmas season. You know, Advent, as we discussed last week, is a special season within the church calendar where people count down the days until Christmas by remembering special themes and topics associated with the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, the term Advent uh, comes from the Latin word Adventus, which simply means coming. Uh, in the Greek, it's the root word, it's the word, excuse me, it's the word parousia. Uh, Advent is really all about the coming of Jesus Christ. And, Advent not only looks back upon the birth of Christ at his first coming, but also looks forward to the return of Jesus at his second coming. It's a time of both remembrance and celebration, a time to reflect upon the unexpected nature of Jesus's birth, how the very son of God humbled himself and, and left his heavenly abode, made himself of no reputation and came in the likeness of man as a, a defenseless babe born in a manger. But it is also a time to reflect upon the greatly anticipated return of Christ, where he will ultimately fulfill every scripture written about him and usher in his long-awaited kingdom. Last week, I made mention of how there are many different ways uh, to participate in Advent. Different churches, different denominations do different things. There's a lot of variety in what Advent looks like from church to church, even from family to family. For us here at Calvary, I've decided to look at four different biblical themes as we make our way towards Christmas. Last week, we looked at the theme of hope um, in a, a message that I entitled, The Hope of Christmas. Uh, this morning, we're going to take a look at yet another biblical theme associated with Advent, one that can be a bit confusing when you consider what we've allowed Christmas to become through the years. Uh, the theme that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning is the theme of peace. Peace. Uh, the title of our study this morning is going to be the peace of Christmas. And uh, just to get us started, we're going to read through and remind ourselves of Luke's angelic birth announcement given to the shepherds who were out in the fields watching over their flocks by night. And so turn with me in your Bible to the gospel of Luke chapter 2. Uh, our starting point this morning is going to be Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And then from there, we're just going to look at the topic and the biblical theme of peace and, and what it means for us. And so uh, once you are there in Luke, I'd like to invite you to rise to your feet in honor of God and his word. Luke uh, records for us the details of that special night when Christ was born and the heavenly birth announcement was proclaimed amongst the most unlikely of recipients, a group of lowly shepherds. Our text begins in verse 8. Follow along in your Bible as I read from mine. Luke writes, 
Now, therefore, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, the opportunity that we have to once again gather in this place to sing of your praises, your worship, Lord, and now to open up your word and allow your word to speak to us. Lord, as we look at this theme of biblical peace and what it means, I pray that your spirit would lead and guide us. Lord, that we would understand the peace that you offer to us. And Lord, that we would have that peace and uh, with you. And so Lord, uh, lead us and guide us through your word and through our time of study. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You may have a seat. Out there in the countryside amongst some lowly shepherds, an angelic host from heaven boldly and triumphantly declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, or your translation may say peace toward men of goodwill, uh, depending upon which translation you're reading from. Regardless, the declaration that came with the birth announcement of Jesus was one of peace on earth. Christmas is to be a time of great peace. And that's why I suggested earlier that today's theme may, be, may sound a bit strange or confusing based upon what we've allowed Christmas to become over the years. You know, when we think of Christmas and the holiday season, we often associate it with really the absence of peace. Um, you know, there's the hustle and bustle that comes with the season, uh, packing our calendars with all sorts of activities and parties and other social gatherings. You know, we need to get all of our Christmas decorations out and we need to put them all up on display for everyone to see. You know, we want to go and we want to see, uh, you know, the Hiroshima Dreamination or the Bihoku Illumination. At the very least, you know, drive around the neighborhood and see all the different uh, Christmas light displays. We have, you know, classroom Christmas parties for our kids or co-op parties for our kids, not to mention uh, winter festivals and plays and other assemblies uh, that are school related for our young ones. We have uh, office Christmas parties, you know, family gatherings, church outreaches and the like. You know, we want to watch all of our favorite Christmas movies, listen to all of our favorite Christmas songs, keep all of our Christmas traditions, ensure that we don't miss a single day upon our Advent calendar. 
Not to mention all the effort we put into researching good gift ideas and setting aside time to go out shopping to hopefully get all those different perfect gifts. Add that to our normal everyday activities in the season that's supposed to remind us of peace on earth. Well, it's, it's anything but that. You know, we're trying to jam-pack so much into so few days. It, it creates chaos, not peace. It, it creates a hectic and stressful time that ultimately deprives us of the peace this season is supposed to be associated with. But the chaos is, is not limited to our social calendars. You know, we experience conflict on a number of different fronts. You know, when we think of the word peace, we often think of really the absence of conflict. Right? So when we hear a message about there being peace on earth, we envision a world that's absent of conflict. Yet, the world we live in today is filled with all sorts of conflict. Right? We, we face inner conflict. People are struggling with doubts and fears and uncertainties. Emotionally struggling. Wrestling within themselves trying to find peace. You know, our mental health is stretched to its limits and seemingly beyond our limits, especially during this season as we get stressed out trying to do all the things, as we battle with the emotions of feeling alone, perhaps, because of loved ones lost uh, this year or, or simply being away from loved ones um, like many of you are. We struggle with fears of how we're going to afford to do all that we want to do without going into debt. You know, mental health professionals tell us that the Christmas holidays, the time of peace on earth, is often one of the most depressing times of the year for some as they struggle with unmet expectations, stress, and, and feelings of loneliness. These are all things that we can experience during this time of year. You know, we face interpersonal conflict, people struggling and wrestling against each other, we have conflicts with family members, co-workers, and then uh, others within our various social circles, right? Conflicts amongst these groups are often heightened as we spend extra time with certain people we may not normally spend a lot of personal time with. You know, some people just rub us a certain way, causing conflict, anxiety, and, and tension, right? It's like, we got to go to this office party or this work party, and I really don't want to be here, and this guy kind of annoys me, but we do it because that's what we're supposed to do at this time. This interpersonal conflict we face isn't limited to just family members and acquaintances. It can even happen amongst complete strangers, Sadly, the shopping season tends to elevate criminal activity, crimes against one another, robbery and personal larceny are said to increase by about 20% during the Christmas season. And, and peace can be difficult to come across as we mingle and interact with each other during this time of year. Not only do we see struggles with uh, inner conflict and interpersonal conflict, but also international conflict. The world seems to constantly be in a flux of war fighting amongst nations, peoples, and tribes. We have the current war between Israel and Hamas forces, the Ukrainian war uh, with Russia, a whole host of ongoing conflicts, some that have been going on for decades. Unfortunately, war isn't anything new. Wars and rumors of wars have been ongoing throughout our history as we know it. And so, you know, with all the conflict that we see around this world, how are we to process and understand the declaration that came with Jesus' arrival? 
Was their declaration just a, a wishful hope of peace? Or did the arrival, the arrival of Jesus really bring peace on earth? You know, in order to properly understand the angel's declaration of peace on earth, we must first come to a proper understanding of the biblical concept of peace. When the Bible speaks of peace, what does it mean? You know, the word peace appears throughout the Bible uh, in the New King James Version, which is the Bible that I uh, like to read from. It pops up some 369 times, okay? 286 times in the Old Testament, 83 times in the New Testament. That's a whole lot of peace, okay? <laughs> but when we dive deeper into the context of each time this word peace is used, we come to find that the word peace involves a whole lot more than something simply being free of conflict. You see, in the Old Testament, the word most commonly translated as peace is the Hebrew word shalom. You may have heard that uh, word before. Shalom is a very uh, important term in the Old Testament. It's used in a number of different ways. The basic understanding of this word carries with the ideas of peace, of completedness, of welfare and health. The root of this word expresses the meaning of wholeness, to be whole. Uh, it's used to speak of a relationship of harmony and, and wholeness. It speaks of being at a state of ease that can be experienced both externally and internally. The word shalom was used as a greeting in the Old Testament and still is even to this day. Today, if you were to visit Israel and be greeted by the locals, they would greet you with the phrase shalom. When David came to his brothers and greeted them upon the battlefield, he used the word shalom. Uh, it's like our English phrase, you know, how are you? Or how's it going? Or are you well? The word shalom was used as a way to speak of your overall well-being, your overall state of mind, your physical health. Really, the core idea is that life is complex, it's full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these are out of balance or they're missing, your shalom begins to break down. Okay? Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. And that is what the verb form of shalom means. It means to make complete or to restore. The Hebrew verb for peace is shalem. Okay? It carries the idea of being complete or sound. In the book of Nehemiah, it's used in reference to the completion of the wall that they built around the city of Jerusalem. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, Nehemiah states, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elal in 52 days. That word finished, okay? it is the same Hebrew word shalem. Okay? The idea being not simply that the wall was finished, that the work was done, but more specifically, that it was whole, that it was complete, that there were no cracks in the wall, nor were there holes, any empty spaces. The wall was shalem. Okay? It was whole, completed, perfected, fulfilled. 
But this can be used not only in reference to physical structures, but also amongst personal human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, when speaking about reconciling and healing a broken relationship, the word shalom is used. In Proverbs 16, 7, it states, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. The phrase to make peace is the word shalom. And so we see that the Old Testament use of this word carried with it much more than the idea of simply being free from conflict. And the the New Testament word is much the same. The Greek word most translated as peace is the word irene. Irene is just like the Hebrew word shalom. It isn't just speaking about the absence of conflict, but of wholeness, well-being, harmony, and reconciliation. And so with that understanding of what the Bible means when it speaks about peace, we come back to the birth announcement of the angels. The angels declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The declaration of peace on earth wasn't just talking about the idea of world peace. The angel's declaration carried the idea of God providing peace on earth, God providing a way for reconciliation, a way for us to be made whole, a way for us to experience harmony. And you guys, our biggest need when it comes to reconciliation and harmony for peace is in regard to our relationship with the Lord. When the angels proclaimed peace on earth, they were declaring how God had provided a way for there to be peace between man and God. You see, by nature, in our flesh, we are all sinful. The Bible declares how we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. As fallen sinful humans, we are at enmity with God. Romans 5, 10 speaks of how we were considered enemies of God. Romans also declares the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Though we were created in the image of God and made to have relationship with him, our sin has separated us from him. This is a statement of fact. Whether you recognize it or not, we were enemies of God and we were in desperate need for reconciliation with him. In the day that Jesus Christ was born to this earth, God was providing a way for us to be reconciled with him, a way for us to have shalom. Irene, with God. Paul describes Jesus as our peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, he writes of Jesus stating, for he himself, referring to Jesus, he is our peace, our Irene, who who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and through his sacrificial death upon the cross, he brought together all mankind, both Jews and Gentiles into one body, reconciling us both to God 
He paid the penalty for our sins. He took the wrath of God that was directed toward us and our sin upon himself, satisfying the righteous requirements of the law. He is our peace. He has made a way for there to be peace between God and man. The scriptures attest that we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How are we reconciled to God? How are we brought into that peace that's offered through Jesus Christ? Romans 5 verse 1 tells us that it is through faith in the completed work of Christ upon the cross. Romans 5 proclaims, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the peace of Christmas is first and foremost the peace that God offers us through his son. It is peace with God, a right standing before God, an opportunity to be reconciled to God. And and my hope and prayer is that each and every person hearing this message today has made the decision to put their hope and faith in the completed work of Christ and that you have entered into a relationship of peace with God the Father. Now, while peace with God is our greatest need, that is not the only kind of peace that is offered through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Previously, I mentioned how a great many of people are struggling with inner conflict. They're wrestling with them within themselves, struggling with doubts and fears and uncertainties. Okay? They long for inner peace, but they struggle to find it. Listen, Jesus Christ knows the struggles that we face. Okay? He knows of the internal struggles. He came to this earth and he lived here on this earth and was subject to the same sorts of trials, temptations, and difficulties that we face. Many of us, you know, during this time, especially fear about finances. Jesus knew what it meant to live in poverty. He spent days out in the wilderness with no food. As he traveled around, he was dependent upon others to offer shelter for him and his disciples. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Paul spoke of the humility of Christ in his coming in poverty, saying, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, Jesus had it all in heaven. Okay? All things were made through him and for him. All creation was for him. And yet he gave it all up and he came and dwelt amongst us. Philippians 2 describes Jesus and his coming in this manner, saying, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus went from being at home in heaven with everything to coming down here to earth and not even having a place to lay his own head. Think about it, you guys. Jesus was born in a borrowed cradle. Jesus preached from a borrowed boat. He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He ate his last supper in a borrowed room, and he was even buried in a borrowed tomb. All that he had at the crucifixion were the clothes on his back. And then they took those off of him as well. He had nothing. 
he knows what it means to struggle, to live in poverty. Many struggle with grief and sorrow and heartache internally. Jesus knows that struggle more than we can even imagine. Jesus wept over the condition of the city of Jerusalem as he approached it during his triumphal entry. He wept over the city saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus wept when his friends were suffering from the loss of their brother and the grief that they were experiencing. The prophet Isaiah described Jesus as despised and rejected by men and declares that he was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. Jesus knows our struggles with grief and sorrow. People struggle with understanding suffering and how God is at work in and through those situations. Jesus knows all about this too. While in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was filled with so much internal anxiety over the suffering that he was about to face that he prayed over and over and over again, asking his father if there was any other way. He prayed, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew suffering. He knew the internal struggle of submitting to God's will, even though it meant great suffering. Maybe you've been experiencing some great suffering this year. You've experienced great heartache and you wonder and you think to yourself, how could God be using this? Let me explain to you, Jesus knows that feeling of how that suffering could be used for God's will. You know, people struggle with the feeling of being alone. Jesus knows that as well. Jesus was abandoned by his closest friends, his disciples. They all forsook him and fled from him at his arrest. Not only did he feel abandoned from his disciples, but his father as well, while upon the cross, he cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew what it felt like to feel alone, to feel abandoned, even forsaken. Jesus knows the inner struggles that we face. He faced them too. And the scriptures attest, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. We can look to Jesus and know with certainty that he understands our internal conflict and the need that we have for inner peace. And Jesus longs to give us that peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus wants to bring to our hearts peace that our hearts may not be troubled or afraid. You know, the peace of Christmas, it involves inner peace of heart and mind that can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He welcomes us to come to him and to pray and let our requests be known to him. He will hear and he will work. Paul writes, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
The peace of God is able to guard our hearts and minds to quiet our fears and allow ourselves to have that inner peace of heart and mind, trusting that whatever comes our way, we can have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. But there's still more peace God has available for us through his son. Interpersonal relationships are difficult, but God does want us to live at peace with our fellow man. Romans states, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know, as we come to faith in Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit takes residence within us, we now have his ever-present spirit to lead us and to guide us in our daily interactions with others. The fruit of the spirit can begin to be birthed and to grow in our hearts and lives. We can have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control because of the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. And Hebrews exhorts us to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. God wants to shine his light through us that we may impact the world around us. He wants to use us to reveal himself to others. He wants to use us as peacemakers between God and man. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. That word peacemaker, it's interesting. Uh, My lexicon, uh, which is uh, just a fancy dictionary, really, kind of gives a little bit more in-depth meaning. My lexicon, I looked up this word peacemaker. It's defined as not simply one who makes peace between two parties, but one who spreads the good news of the peace of God, which he has experienced himself. You see, God wants us to spread the good news of the gospel, to spread the peace that is offered through Jesus Christ with those around us. As Hebrews tests, without which no one will see the Lord. If we don't have that peace, if we don't demonstrate and show that peace to the world, no one's going to see it. You see, the peace of Christmas involves living peaceably among others that others may enjoy the peace of God that we have come to know and love ourselves. But I must say, there's an asterisk to this. Being a follower of Jesus will not always lead to peace with our fellow man. There will be times that our faith and trust in the name of Christ will bring more challenges to our interpersonal relationships. And some relationships may even get worse than what they were before you came to Christ. You know, Jesus said something very interesting in Matthew chapter 10, especially as it relates to the proclamation that the angels made uh, upon his birth. In Matthew chapter 10, when discussing the cost of discipleship with his disciples, he, and he was preparing to send them out, he said the following in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. While Jesus' arrival ushered in an opportunity to have peace on earth, to have peace with God and the peace of God, it won't be that way for everyone. Not everyone was excited to see Jesus back in his day. There were people who reviled him and persecuted him. 
People that made up all sorts of lies and rumors about him. People that didn't want anything to do with him. And the same is still true today. There are people in this world that don't want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. And they are actively trying to come against any and all who claim the name of Christ. And as his followers, that means we may face similar persecution. Jesus said to his disciples, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus warned his disciples that walking with him and following him would come at a price. There will be people that come against you because of your faith in Jesus. And I want to encourage you, do not let that rob you of the peace that God wants for you. Jesus, in John 15, he told them that they should experience, uh, they should anticipate experiencing persecution because they persecuted him. And then in John 16, he said to his disciples the following, he says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Even when we do experience conflict, amongst our fellow man in this world, we can still have the peace of God knowing that Jesus has overcome this world. And so as much as depends upon you, as much as depends upon me, we are to live peaceably among others. We're to allow the Lord to reveal himself to those around us. We want to be peacemakers and trust that even in tribulation, we can still be partakers of the peace of God. Now, there's one more element of peace that I want to address. I mentioned how international conflict is something that we have been living with throughout our history. When you look through the pages of history, it's quite hard to find any time here on earth that has been absent from some sort of international conflict or even civil wars or internal armed conflicts between people groups within a nation. But there will come a day where there will be an absence of even international conflict. And it is a day that is associated with Advent. If you were here with us last week, we emphasized the fact that Advent, the coming of Jesus involves not only his first coming, but it also looks forward to his second coming. And it will be at Jesus's second coming that we will once and for all experience peace on earth on an international level. Many of the Old Testament prophets prophesied of this day. The psalmist writes of the future glory of the Messiah's reign in Psalm 72, stating, In his days the righteous shall flourish, an abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Verse 11 says, Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Verse 17 says, his name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Micah prophesied as well of this glorious future kingdom, describing how many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the law, the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. 
Isaiah actually had similar words to that of Micah in Isaiah chapter 2, practically quoting the exact same thing. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But I'd like to draw your attention not just to Micah and to Isaiah chapter 2, but I want to draw your attention to what Isaiah had to say in chapter 9, which highlights for us details pertaining to both the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter, nine's read, Isaiah chapter 9 reads this way. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This prophecy spoken of by the prophet Isaiah speaks not only of the birth of Jesus Christ and his first coming, but also speaks of the establishment of a forever kingdom at his second coming. Unto us a child is born speaks of his first coming, but the increase of his government and peace where there will be no end speaks of his second coming. You see, there will come a day in the future that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And at that time, when Jesus returns and takes his rightful place upon the throne of David as the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he will reign supreme over all of the earth and there will be peace on earth for all. There will be no more war. Jesus Christ will rule and reign over all nations and he will usher in a peace like the world has never seen. The peace of Christmas that we celebrate and look forward to during Advent involves the future rule and reign of Christ as our Prince of Peace something that we have, something great we have to look forward to. And so this morning, as we are reminded of the angelic proclamation, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, my hope for us all is fourfold. Number one, that first and foremost, we would all have made peace with God. <laughs> that we have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and allowed the peace of God to be upon us. Number two, that we would know the peace of God in our inner heart and mind. Okay, number three, that we would represent our Lord to those around us, that we would enjoy peace with our fellow man as much as depends upon us. And fourth and finally, that we would look forward to the time where Jesus will rule and reign as the Prince of Peace over all the earth. May we take time out of the hustle and bustle and the chaos that this season brings and remember the peace that God offers to all that come to him. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his work upon the cross, that it through his sacrifice, through your son's death, Lord, peace has been made available to us. Lord, we can have shalom. Lord, we can have irene with you. Lord, we can be reconciled to you because of what your son Jesus Christ did for us. And so, Lord, we thank you. And as we celebrate Christmas, we look forward to Christmas, we understand that that proclamation of peace on earth was you establishing a way for us to be reconciled to you, Lord. We want to make sure that we've taken full advantage of that, Lord, that we understand and know the peace of God, that we have peace with you, God. Lord, I pray that we would also understand and know that inner peace of heart and mind. Lord, that we would live in peace with those around us, that we would shine brightly for you this year, during this season. Lord, that we would have peace when all of around us, there's chaos and madness and everyone's crazy. Lord, that we would have your peace. And Lord, that people would see you in us. Lord, I pray that you would give to us expectant hearts for your return. Lord, we long for that day where you will come again for us, where you will rule and reign, and you will bring peace upon the earth like never before. And so, Lord, we ask, until that day come, lead us, guide us, strengthen us, May we walk in peace with you and in peace with ourselves and in peace with those around us. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.